Churchpreneurs Podcast. My name is Richard Moore. I'm your host and informant for everything church, theology, and faith-related. Churchpreneurs' vision is to accelerate the church in mission, vision, and effectiveness in fulfilling the Great Commission in our communities. Churchpreneurs hopes to embolden people to fulfill the Great Commission beyond their own borders into the rest of the world within this generation. In this podcast, I talk about everything that's moving me in relation to church and theology, hopefully to empower you and your ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and most importantly, your personal growth in Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm uh, comforted to have good old Dr. Martin Luther to oversee the proceedings today. So anytime I talk about God, um, he's there with a faithful eye on the situation, making sure that everything I say lines up with the scriptures. So we've got uh, Playmobil Martin Luther uh, with us today to oversee the proceedings of churchpreneurs. Thanks for watching. And uh, we're jumping right into it here. So today I wanted to take a page out of another book and try something new. A little, I don't really uh, necessarily do this often. Uh, I guess this is probably the very first one, actually. <laughs> How about that? The very first book review. I don't do book reviews uh, that often, but I thought um, I've written this book review uh, many, actually many years ago now, um, and published it on my blog. And it came back up um, in conversation with people, and I saw many other uh, posts on this and that other people wanted, were interested in seeing or hearing a book review on this particular book. The book that I'm going to review today is called The Physics of Heaven. Uh, the Physics of Heaven is written by uh, Judy Franklin and Ellen Davis uh, with, well, let's say they're the editors of the book. Uh, the book is written with many, many chapters. Uh, they've written, they themselves, Judy Franklin and Ellen Davis, have written several chapters in the book. Uh, we're going to have many perspectives today, so from coming from way up high in the cheap seats. Uh, we're going to have uh, that cam up there and uh, our uh, phone cam over here. So this book was written by two people or compiled by two people with with articles or, or let's say chapters from several different authors. And the authors are very active. Most of them uh, that I'm aware of are very active in a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. The New Apostolic Reformation, in a nutshell, is the belief uh, that God has restored the office of apostle and prophet back to the church. And they're the governing authority and the governing leaders of the church. No, no longer um, elders, pastors, and deacons, as Timothy and Titus, the, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus about how we're meant to be led by in the church. So uh, they believe that the apostle and the prophet uh, are the governing authority over the church, and that gives them extraordinary a power and authority. And uh, their their authority and power actually really uh, mirrors that, if not exceeds that, of the apostles in the in the the twelve apostles who wrote the scripture and were the twelve 
apostles on which the foundation of the church is built, Christ being the cornerstone. So they they really, in, 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 in theory, they don't say that they have more authority than the apostles, but in true practice, they uh, really usurp quite a bit of authority, even more so than the 12. So, uh, yeah, let's... Uh, uh, have a look at this book. We're going to, this book is like I said, written with lots of authors, um, who have, uh, really, uh, quite a bit, bit of influence in this movement called the new apostolic reformation. Uh, this movement is not a construct of our imagination. It is, um, and I can, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this real quick. I'm going to go off camera. Wait a minute. Here we are. This is the smoking gun that the movement, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation, is uh, what they say it is. And it's not a construct of our imaginations. This is the book, The Modern Day Apostles, written by Shayan and quoted C. Peter Wagner some 100 times or so in this book. C. Peter Wagner coined the phrase, the new apostolic reformation. And he's quoted in this book as saying it is a new apostolic reformation. So we haven't created the, the critics have not created the term. The term existed long before anybody came along and critiqued the movement. C. Peter Wagner coined the phrase. Shayan in this book, modern day apostles has re uh, uh, quoted, uh, Bill, uh, C. Peter Wagner. And, uh, it's, it's clear, clear as day. If you read this book, there's over a hundred, uh, sources from C. Peter Wagner who claims and says that this is a new apostolic reformation. God is restoring the office of apostle and prophet to the church. So, uh, the evidence is there. We didn't create it. It's not a figment of the crit critic's imagination as like Michael Brown might have us believe. There's no such thing as the new apostolic reformation. There is such a thing. They believe it. They teach it. And it's taught right here in this book, Modern Day Apostles. So um, that being said, let's jump into this book. Let me whirl up my website machine, my desktop here. Um, we're going to have a look at how. So first of all, let me lay a foundation. This is written by Judy Franklin and Ellen Davis. This book, The Physics of Heaven, the title should say something to you. Um, anyways, um, uh, I didn't know we could study the physics of heaven. But uh, apparently there is uh, some science and physics that we can study uh, that belongs to heaven. So they're going to write about it. Uh, Judy Franklin, Ellen Davis. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they're the compilers. Like I said, they're, they're not the writers. They have a few chapters themselves in the book. Um, and um, they uh, compiled it uh, from several different authors, of which we'll have a look at and see today. So... Um, there was, like I said, many NAR leaders. It reads like a manifesto uh, for a sort of uh, new age Christian mixture. Um, it acts like a syncretistic think tank. I don't, I don't know if you know what syncretism is. Syncretism is the mixing and matching of occult 
and, and uh, pagan religious systems with that of Christianity. I think about, uh, give you a perfect example, in uh, Latin America, Catholics moved in missionary, as missionaries into those areas and said that, oh yeah, you're welcome to keep your sangria and all your um, pagan practices as long as you um, uh, convert to Catholicism. And so people converted to Catholicism and bought all their syncretistic and pagan practices. Um, that's why people still to this day uh, sacrifice chickens and stuff like this within Catholic practice in Latin America. That's classic syncretism. That's mixing and matching of, of pagan practices, non-Christian practices, and mixing it with uh, Christian practices. So uh, it's such a bizarre book um, that it's really hard to know where to start. Um, it honestly feels like the authors are just floating their craziest ideas um, of how they imagine Christianity should mingle with all sorts of new age and occult practices because it's well known and a well reviewed book. If you look on Amazon, I can't, I don't whirl it up right now here, but on the Amazon site, there are tons of great reviews like this is a great book. And just so you know where I'm going, this book is the craziest syncretistic mishmash I have ever seen and read that claims itself to be a Christian book. So, so you know, um, I would not recommend this book to anyone. Um, it is so bad that um, it can no longer be considered Christian, in my opinion. So uh, we see right here on uh, Bethel's webpage here, The Physics of Heaven being sold for $14. Um, yeah, this is, this is it. This is, they're selling it. They still sell it. This is a current, I mean, I'm, I'm on it, uh, on their website on September 25th. Um, it, it, they're selling it. 14 bucks. They cannot say they're not connected to the book. The book is, um, like I said, you just, they just can't say that here, there's the two ladies who wrote it, Judy Franklin and, uh, Ellen Davis. They can't say they're not connected. Bethel cannot say they're not connected. Here's even a Bethel, whatever, um, sort of approval seal of approval on the book. So they're selling it today on their website. Um, yeah, so let's get into this here. Uh, I would like to see if I can take a shot at reviewing and analyzing it. Uh, my questions arise virtually on page one. Um, they say something to the effect of there are vibrations in the supernatural that we need to tap into. Uh, let me... <laughs> Let me uh, get this other camera up here so you can see my like face here. There are no vibrations in the supernatural realm that we need to tap into. This is, I mean, it's literally um, as crazy as it could be. So, um, no. Uh, does God hide himself in sound and light? No. Does God speak to us through other things like the, and give us hints of his presence through things like sound? No, God does not speak through sound, light, 
energy frequencies, vibrations, or quantum physics. No. Unfortunately, this book espouses all those things and ideas. It takes all of the scriptures it uses out of context and applies meanings to them that the original scripture authors did not intend. So this book starts off then just on the wrong foot. Um, No, God doesn't speak through vibrations. You don't have to tap into any light or energy or frequency or, 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 or find him through quantum physics. No. Uh, Unfortunately, this book espouses all of these ideas virtually from page one. So let's whirl up my desktop machine here again. Um, And here's the book, The Physics of Heaven, the cover. Uh, This is my Kindle reader. So I'm just going to kind of like pop right through um, with you uh, and just kind of show you. So uh, page one, here we go. Exploring God's mysteries of sound, light, energy, vibrations, and quantum physics. So there you have it. Uh, It's all in the title. Um, We're exploring God, the mystery of God and sound, light and vibrations, um, etc. This is not a joke. I couldn't make it up if I tried. Um, This is what this book's going after. And you can see it from page one. So, um, yeah, here we go. Uh, The acknowledgments, then they just kind of list them out. Um, and then I want to, uh, give you as well, the endorsements, cause these are names that are in the movement, the new apostolic reformation. The movement is clear. The names of these people are deeply, deeply new apostolic in their, um, in their practice. So here's Phil Mason, um, spiritual director, new earth tribe, Byron Bay, Australia, author quantum glory the science of heaven invading earth the book title there says itself uh banning liebscher um is the director of jesus culture as well um i believe he's a pastor of a church right now in sacramento california um was at the time probably the writing of this book uh at bethel uh church in redding california you see there So then you also get Steve Witt, senior leader, uh, Bethel Church, Cleveland. So Bethel Church has many, many uh, different church uh, chapters, and one of them is in Cleveland. So he gives his endorsements. So here I'd like to uh, give a list of the breakdown of all the chapters and the authors. Um, And some of the chapter titles are just really, uh, truly uh, absurd. Um, the power of the zero point field. So Judy Franklin herself writes that the dolphin theory, um, extracting the precious Ellen Davis. Um, and then, uh, we've got Bob Jones, uh, the prophet, uh, Bob Jones of the Kansas city prophets, uh, who, um, notoriously, uh, prophesied, uh, all sorts of things, uh, including, uh, that when the super bowl was won by, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs that uh, revival would break out in the earth, uh, not to mention that he had women uh, uh, he asked to remove their clothes um, in private prophetic sessions with them. So Bob Jones is an obvious uh, false prophet. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year um, and I have yet to see uh, any kind of uh, evidence of global revival but 
there it is. So then we got Bill Johnson, uh, pastor and, oh, well, uh, apostle. They call him apostle um, as well in this book. Uh, Shay An calls him an apostle, the apostle of Northern California even. And uh, so he's written a chapter, but he's the apostle at, at Bethel Church. Jonathan Welton, interestingly enough, I believe that this is the guy that Bethel Church um, rejected as a um, as have going have gone having gone too far into this direction, into the uh, psychic realms and all sorts of things like this. That's uh, Jonathan Welton. Then we got Ellen Davis with good vibrations again. Good, good. Good, good vibration. Uh, I don't know if it's <laughs> sort of similar to that. Um, then we got the, like I said, Jonathan Welton, authentic versus counterfeit. Then Bill Johnson, recovering your spiritual inheritance. Uh, Ray Hughes, Dan McCollum. Dan McCollum is also the guy um, who had a, uh, a let's say a interpreting the weird wonderful and wacky and he had people invited up on the stage um at bethel church uh trying to just understand what their um yeah what their weird wacky and experiences were about uh it's truly truly disturbing um it was on chris valentin's page uh dan mccullum uh posted uh, it was a video of dan mccullum and he had invited people up on stage and uh, one person had 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 been a vision that they were part of a uh, pedophile ring and that they were going to break it up. One person had an out of body experience. One person uh, so they died and went to heaven, came back. And I mean, it, the, the video is so deeply disturbing. Um, you would have to see it for yourself. But that's Dan McCollum. Um, and then Cal Pierce, uh, the healing rooms uh, leader, Larry Randolph. Ellen Davis again, Ellen, da uh, Ellen Davis again, David Vancouvering, um, your quantum leap. Um, I don't know if y'all remember, uh, years ago, there was a show called quantum leap, um, where people would jump through to different bodies and yeah, take on people's experiences in another body. Anyways, Benny Johnson, the clarion call, uh, Bill Johnson again, pulling into today. And, uh, so there you have it. These are the chapters and the authors who are involved. So this is a deeply, deeply uh, Bethel book. Um, so we got the forward by Chris Valentin. Chris Valentin is the prophet at Bethel. So they can't say, well, we don't really know about that book. We're not really connected. They are deeply, deeply connected. Bill Johnson wrote two chapters. Benny Johnson wrote a chapter. Chris Valentin wrote the forward and it's um, right here being sold at the Bethel store. Uh, it's, it's, they can't deny it. It's being sold right here on the Bethel store on their website. So it's deeply, deeply infiltrated into their, uh, church. So, um, yeah, uh, there we go. That's the book itself. So if you want a um, smorgasbord of new apostolic reformation teachings and seers, quote unquote, as they're called uh, in this book, 
then this is your book, man. Chapters in this book are written by, like I said, Ellen Davis, Judy Franklin, Bill Johnson, apostolic leader of Bethel Church, Jonathan Welton, founder of the Welton Academy, the Supernatural Bible School, Ray Hughes, author of The Sound of Heaven, Symphony of Earth, Dan McCullum, co-founder of the Bethel School of the Prophets and founder of the Active Activate School of Prophecy, Cal Pierce, director of Healing Rooms Ministries in Spokane, Washington, Larry Randolph, author of the books User-Friendly Prophecy, Spirit Talk, and The Coming Shift, David Vancouvering, quantum physics and inventor, and Benny Johnson, and wife, wife of Bill Johnson, and Bill Johnson, like I said, wrote several chapters. Um, Chris Valentin, as well, wrote the foreword. Uh, these are senior leaders at Bethel Church, there's also a chapter by the late Bob Jones, who, um, like I said, I prophesied that Kansas City Chiefs would win the Super Bowl and revival would break out a year later and global revival, um, if I remember right. The authors say in the preface that this is not a theological book. This is a very interesting point. But then go on to state their clear purpose is to share what we have discovered so that you can go on your journey of discovery with God into the realms of sound, light, energy, vibrations, and quantum physics. This is clearly a theological goal. You can't have it both ways. So you say this is not a theological book, and then you go on. The entire book is a description of people's experiences and teaching of God and who he is, how he operates and how he engages with people in the world. You can't have it both ways. This is a deeply theological book. So, um, sorry that they've, they're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You can't have it both ways. This is a theological book. When you explain God or try to explain God to people, you have engaged in theology. So by the very nature, you are doing something theological. So um, they go on to state their clear purpose is to share what we discovered in our journey with God. And that is a theological goal. So their poor eschatology is also on display in that they teach that the world will get better and better until the reign of Christ is inaugurated by our dominion of it. The Bible is clear that the end times will become worse as in the days of Noah, not better. That's according to Jesus. So they, they can't have it both ways. This is uh, a theological book. There's no question. So um, this book also teaches that the veil between the earthly realm and the heavenly realm is thinner than ever. Um, on my Kindle, sorry, I read it on the Kindle. So the Kindle location is 190 on that. Um, they describe how they believe that Jesus is about to release a sound from heaven that will allow us to exceed the works that Jesus did. Um that's, I'm just going to say, that's not going to happen. Um, that's not what that passage means, where Jesus said, greater works will you do than these. He meant that we will engage in the preaching of the forgiveness of sins. Um, Jesus did not mean miracles. We're not going to do greater miracles in Jesus. If, if that were the case, then uh, no one has exceeded the miracles of Jesus. No one in human history. So, that's not what this pa that passage in the Bible is about, what Jesus is talking about. And um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm just going to say no one's going to exceed the miracles of Christ. 
It's just not going to happen. Uh, furthermore, this book teaches that bringing heaven to earth is our mandate. Um, <clears throat> Uh, if I had the power or the authority to bring heaven to earth, if, um, I, I couldn't do it. Uh, what would that look like? We wouldn't cry anymore. We wouldn't have pain anymore. We wouldn't have disease anymore. We wouldn't have marriage or giving in marriage. Jesus says we wouldn't, we would be sinlessly perfect. Um, we would have resurrected bodies. That's not going to happen. So the, the whole mandate, heaven on earth, um, the Bethel mandate, uh, the new apostolic reformation becoming more and more, the new apostolic reformation mandate is not going to happen. Heaven will ne never uh, come to earth. It's often written in this book. It comes off, comes out quite frequently. The Lord told me, or I feel like the Lord has told me, um, and I love that. I feel like the Lord has told me, said no prophet of God ever. Either he told you or he didn't. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's nothing in between. Either the Lord told you and spoke to you. The word of the Lord came to me and said, the word of the Lord. We look at the, the pattern in all of biblical history. The word of the Lord came to the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and he said this in the year of this and this and this King, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Elijah. That's, that's how the, that's how it goes. Never did a prophet of God say, hmm, I feel like, uh, or I seem sense think the Lord's telling me no, these types of statements detract greatly from the sufficiency of scripture and make their personal revelations, these people's personal revelations, greater from God, greater or at least tantamount to God's sufficient revealed word as found in the canon of scripture. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. These statements, I feel like God's saying, or God told me, detract from the sufficiency and the, and, and the, um, authority of scripture. One of the writers explains a vision that they had in which they observed God, the father at the beginning of time and, uh, witnesses him creating. <sighs> this was great. In the vision, they heard him say, let there be light. So this person had a vision of God creating the heavens and the earth. And he was there before, um, God said, let there be light. I don't think it's necessary to explain to you how preposterous this vision is. The vision that is explained is that that uh, the author, I think it was the author, uh, she said God's she saw God the Father before the universe was created. There is not one biblical vision that even remotely clumps close to this one. This is out of the ballpark, literally. Um, this is a whopper. Um, I don't know how else to put it. Um, if, if I were to tell you, um, I had a vision of Jesus Christ at the, uh, creation of the world. I, I was there at the beginning. That is a whopper, man. Um, so they go on to describe, there's lots of dominionism and kingdom now theology, um, uh, 
clearly espoused in this book. Dominionism is the aberrant theological view that God has relinquished dominion of this world to the devil. Um, and we as his church should take back dominion from him. Um, let me just put this out there. Is the Logos, the word that holds all things together, Jesus Christ himself available that we could have his nature? Absolutely not. But this book espouses this very idea. The Apostle Peter is described in this book as carrying the let there be light spirit of God within him. This book is a prime example that not just anyone should be allowed to exegete and explain the scripture. James 3.1 says that clearly. Um, uh, people who are teachers do not presume to be teachers because they're judged more harshly. The Physics of Heaven, the book, claims quite clearly that the New Age has truths or uncovered truths that the church has somehow missed or lost and should seek to retrieve them. Um, another outst that, That's outstanding enough. The New Age has nothing for us Christians and it should be completely and clearly avoided. The Bible's clear throughout, have nothing to do with with necromancy, with new age, with paganism. We are to leave those things behind when we come to Christ and turn to Christ. Another astounding quote from the book is, uh, whenever you see a counterfeit, it means a real exists. A lie just proves the existence of a truth. And then he says, I decided to examine the new age thought and practice for anything precious that might be extracted from the worthless. That's on uh, Kindle location 366. I believe this was also the authors, um, one of the authors. She wrote this to justify her syncretism with new age teaching and truth. The author here admits her own syncretism. Moreover, this book is produced and endorsed by Bethel that, that which are claiming that new age has truths we should uncover. Chapters are written by Bethel leaders and is a Bethel resource, as we've seen. Bethel cannot claim anymore that they're not dabbling in the new age since their leadership is promoting and engaging in it themselves. There are large passages of this book that indicate that God is giving a new revelation, which also detracts from the sufficiency of scripture. God's revelation is closed. Nothing can be added to or taken away from divine revelation. But they do that with this book. So uh, moving on, uh, we want to go to um, Bob Jones' descriptions in his chapter. Um, he described that God is preparing uh, for us a second Pentecost that will bring us into harmony. Well, first of all, you can see the the title of his chapter here, uh, Vibrating in Harmony with God. Um, I don't think, I'm trying to, trying to kind of like flash through the scriptures and think if there's any such idea at all that could even come close to vibrating in harmony with God. Um, I don't know, maybe y'all can post in the comments i don't i can't think of a single scripture that even could come close to the title of that chapter so uh bob jones in this chapter 
um, is uh, describing the second Pentecost that's going to happen that'll bring us into harmony with God. Uh, but Jesus has already bought us into harmony with God. This is the challenge um, with the with these types of, of ideas and thoughts. We have to do something. Something has to happen for us to be bought in harmony with God. But Jesus has already done that through his vicarious atoning death on the cross. And by faith in him, we are brought into harmony and peace with God. Like I said, I could hardly imagine um, any scripture that communicates anything similar even to vibrating in harmony with God. But I digress. Bob Jones describes in this chapter, like I said, the second the second Pentecost that will bring harmony with God. But he's already bought us into harmony through Jesus atoning death on the cross. Um, he also explains that God is giving people the power of blank checks. Uh, here we go. Blank checks uh, to do healing, holy confiscation, prayer, petitioning, holy confiscation. Um, I guess he's talking about the great transfer of wealth, um, which uh, this movement teaches will happen, that uh, um, there's going to be this great transfer of wealth, that uh, the, I don't know, the wealthy business uh, folks of the world will one day realize they just need to give all their money uh, over to the church. I'm not sure. Yeah, but that's, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so... Um, ushering in prosperity. Prosperity will go from one group to another. Those who are prepared will have it all there when others need it. All right. So, yeah. Um, Bob Jones goes on to uh, describe this holy confiscation for a great transfer of wealth. He says that we have not received the fullness of Pentecost yet. Uh, in this chapter, Jones ridiculously says that when God breathes on you, it smells like apples. Um, I wish I could make this stuff up, uh, but he said it. Let's see if I can find, locate that. I'd have it prepared to find it, but that'd be awesome if I could. When we vibrate, I think it's opening a portal. The Old Testament speaks of windows or doors into heaven, and there are 300 of them. All right. Yeah. You didn't know that, did you? So, uh, let's see if I can find the apples. Oh, here we go. So I believe God is getting ready to breathe on us. The Ruach. Um, yeah, that's already happened. Uh, when we were sealed in the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, we need to know that his breath smells. We, <laughs> and we need to know what his breath smells like. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> Uh, stop everything and let that breath come on you. There it is, right in the <laughs> in the paragraph before. When God breathes on a thing, it smells like apples. It says in Song of Solomon 7, 8, and his breath smells like apples. I've smelled apples at meetings several different times. Bob Jones saying that God's breath smells like apples. So, um, yeah, that's a real thing. I didn't make it up. I couldn't have even. 
dreamed uh, up something so silly and ridiculous. Like I said, it's in the book. He further espouses that there are positive vibrations in us and that we vibrate, that we are, and that when we vibrate, we're opening a portal to heaven. Uh, I just, it's hard to believe. Uh, Bob Jones further says that we're being prepared to receive the priesthood of Melchizedek in this chapter. Let's now let's break that down. Um, since uh, the the compilers of this book um, uh, say that this is not a theological book, this is a very theological point. He says God is preparing us, or that we are being prepared to receive the priesthood of Melchizedek. Sorry, Bob, that priesthood only belongs to one person, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, chapter 6, verse 20, and uh, uh, chapter 7. The priesthood of Melchizedek belongs solely to Jesus Christ alone. No one else. He is the priest of Melchizedek in the line of Melchizedek. He is an eternal priest. That's what that, that's what, first of all, the, the priesthood of Melchizedek is an eternal priesthood. That's what this is being described in Hebrews, um, the book of Hebrews. So when um, Bob Jones says, we are being prepared for the priesthood of Melchizedek, he's saying that those who have fallen to the priesthood of Melchizedek would be eternal priests. That falls only to one person, Jesus Christ. And this is borderline blasphemy. The other stuff's silly. Um, apples, God's breath smells like apples and other stuff like that. But this is borderline blasphemy. The priesthood of Melchizedek belongs to Jesus Christ alone. No one else. He explains further that these vibrations uh, can change the DNA structures um, to have a genetic structure that's in harmony with God. Um, do we need that? Um, do I, do I need my DNA changed? Um, I, I like blue eyes. Um, I've got gray hair now, but I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm going bald. That's why I wear the hat. Um, I'm, I'm actually okay with all that. Anyways, you get the point. Uh, people's DNA don't change. Um, the back cover of the book, uh, it, Bill Johnson gives us a, uh, let's see if I can pull that up. I don't know if it has it in the Kindle version. Oh, look, hosting the presence. How interesting. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't think that would have been there. Yeah, then promoting Bill Johnson books, uh, Benny Johnson books, of course, Chris Valentin books. But I unfortunately don't have... Um, and of course, Destiny Image is the publisher. I don't have the um, the back cover, but on the back cover, uh, Johnson Johnson's chapter says, uh, no revival has even made it a priority to leave a spiritual inheritance to the next generation. Um, now, let me point this out. Johnson's chapter is not as crazy as the others. I'll, I'll give him that. I'll credit him that. It's not as uh, off the wall and wonkers. I mean, the rest, the rest of this book is so bizarre and off the rails. Uh, I just saw a video the other day with um, Mike uh, Winger 
and he, he talked about this book a little bit and he's, he used the same term and I, I have to agree with him wholeheartedly. This book is off the rails. Um, but this chapter by Bill Johnson is not so off the rails, but I want to point out um, when he says that no revival has made it a priority to leave a spiritual inheritance to the next generation, he's only looking at charismatic revivals, quote unquote. Um, whereas all the real revivals of history have carried on a missions flame for generations so he's not looking at historical revival. We think about the pietistic revivals. We think about the great awakenings in, in American history. We think about European revivals that sparked missions flame for generations. So he's not accurate in that. Uh, he's only looking at um, the, uh, the charismatic revivals, probably since the Azusa Street revival. Um, Furthermore, Johnson teaches there are unclaimed mantles uh, when he says there are anointings, mantles, revelations, and mysteries that have lain unclaimed. Literally, they were left because the generation that walked in them never passed them on. How do you pass on a mantle? Uh, it, it, this is, yeah, it's the Lord's doing. It's not, you can't pass on a mantle. It, you're not the sovereign God. You can't do that because you don't have that authority. What Johnson says here is that there are secrets and mysteries that we've missed in our faith, which sounds an awful lot like Gnosticism, the secret mysteries that we have to un unpack and unearth. Gnosticism was an early Christian heresy that was an overemphasis on secret knowledge in respect to faith. Uh, and furthermore, this is why we have the Bible, so that we don't miss anything. We have everything we need in the scriptures. They're sufficient, and in them, God has communicated everything necessary for faith and life. Worship, service, everything is in there. Johnson, later on in his chapter, describes that Christians must unlock extra-biblical revelations. Let's see if I pull that up here. Uh, this is Johnson's chapter, Recovering Our Spiritual Inheritance. Um, all these things highlighted. Like I said, again, it's, it's relatively harmless in relation to the crazy that's in this book. Um, but still, there's some things that are very uh, troubling. There are anointings, mantles, and revelations, mysteries that have laid unclaimed. There you go at the bottom of the page. Literally, they, where they were left because the generation that walked in them never passed them on. Uh, yeah, we don't have the, the authority, the ability to pass on mantles or anything like that. That's God's authority and his prerogative. Secrets, here you go. Uh, that's Gnosticism. Realms, destinies. We have a legal access to hidden things and we begin to pursue the unlocking of those mysteries. <sighs> Do we need to unlock mysteries? This all diminishes the authority of scripture, slowly erodes the authority of scripture as we go. New revelations, etc., etc. So, um, this chapter describes a dangerous precedent that God would give us extra biblical revelations and that we should be searching for them. Johnson also intimates that God would never make people sick. I guess he ignores the passages of scripture uh, where God does send pestilence, sickness, disease, death, and the like. I think of like uh, the plague, the last and final plague of Egypt, where he... Um, uh, truly sent death and pestilence and plague uh, to um, the people of Egypt, though 
that the firstborn died. Um, that was God's doing. He did that. So God can and does make people sick. It's clear in scripture. The kings of the Old Testament, um, uh, I forget who it was who's, uh, who got sick. He, he got a bowel disease and became disemboweled and died in agony. God did it. Um, so, yes, God does make people sick. Ananias, Sapphira, the blindness of Saul in Acts 9, Elemis the magician, you know, the list goes on and on. So, um, he he's ignoring a lot of scripture if he thinks that God does not make people sick, does not curse, does not harm, does not send pestilence and plague. Um, in other passages uh, of moving on, in other passages of the book, the authors connect healing power with the emission of powerful pulsing magnetic fields. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, silly, uh, really, um, and has nothing to do with uh, biblical Christianity. Uh, this in some way indicates that we must tune in to those frequencies, you know, somehow dial it up, dial it down, get it right, get the bandwidth or the downloads from heaven. You hear all that all the time. I'm getting a download now. Prophets will say I'm getting a download. Um, so you got to kind of, you got to tweak it and, and tick it and put it on the right volume, the right frequency, the right bandwidth to get your download and be in pulse and in, um, uh, in, in the right frequency of these powerful pulsing emissions. Um, so that's just, uh, that's just silliness. Uh, scripture doesn't talk about that. Our Christian faith has nothing to do with this. Uh, this is not for us as Christians. So, um, yeah, uh, in that same section, they talk about how shamans, psychics, faith healers, and Hawaiian kahunas etc. during times uh, when they heal people become one with Earth's geoelectric micro pulsations. I don't make it up. Let's see if I can find it. Healing practitioners can emit powerful pulse, pulsing biomagnetic fields from their hands and the same frequency range that biomedical researchers use to help accelerate healing of soft and hard tissue injuries. This is outrageous psychic shamans and etc right going on and on and this is actually probably part of of what they this movement actually does you see people put their hands over um people who put their hands out to receive healing and the people put their hands over the other hands and there's probably something similar to this going on in those scenarios so this is not far off and um, to what the actually practice in this NAR movement. But it's not a biblical practice. It's not a Christian practice and should be avoided. These healing practitioners are animistic shamans, psychics, and, and, and uh, uh, Hawaiian kahunas have nothing in common with Christianity. They're animistic in origin and are clearly demonic. Those types of healers clearly use the power of the devil, and we should avoid such practices, not dabble in them or say what we have in common with them to bring unity and to bring some sort of whatever the, their purpose is in mentioning them. 
we have nothing in common with them. We should avoid such practices, not try to learn from them, not try to find the frequencies that they find, not try to find the geoelectric micropulsations or tune into them. We are to avoid them. Jonathan Welton has his chapter. Let's find that one. Um, I think it must be the next one. There we are. Authentic versus counterfeit. Uh, Jonathan Welton's chapter denotes the importance of proper exegesis uh, because he doesn't do any. He begins his chapter with scripture from 1 John 2.27, in which he claims that we should not ignore counterfeit gods. According to Welton, we should not be afraid of counterfeits because whenever there's a real, there is real, then we uh, then, then it's sure to be a counterfeit. Let's see if we can find that quote as well. Yeah, on Kindle location 662, Jonathan Welton says, whenever there is real, there is sure to be a counterfeit. Um, what he's missing is that this passage in 1 John is actually warning people about false teaching and Antichrist. The Apostle John is warning them to abide in Christ as Jesus himself exhorted us um, and prayed for us in John 17. In other words, do not seek after other gods or counterfeits, but abide and stay in Christ alone. This passage of scripture is actually teaches against what he's proposing. He's proposing to sort of dabble. If there's a, if there's a real, then we know there's a counterfeit. And if there's a counterfeit, eh, then we know there's some real around it somehow. This is not looking at count. This passage is not about looking at counterfeits so you can know how to recognize the real. Further on in the chapter, he says that if there is a counterfeit, there is an authentic that we need to find and reclaim it. So he's saying that if there's counterfeits, um, counterfeit spirits, counterfeit movements, counterfeit whatever, then somewhere around there is the real. And we need to spot those and find those and reclaim them. So New Age has some truth in it that we need to reclaim, even though it's surrounded by lots of counterfeits. This is um, the upside down teaching. They really, truly twisted the scriptures in First John to mean exactly opposite of what this writer in that passage is trying to communicate. Um, this is dangerous, truly, truly dangerous. Basically, he's saying, go and search in all religions and for the truth, because if there's any falsehood there, there must be somewhere, somehow, some hidden truth in there. He claims the counterfeit miracles prove that there are real miracles available for the church. This is absolutely upside down. Um, and you could, from his teaching, you could justify finding truth and finding uh, any, some kind, uncovering something in every single world religion. And this is really, really bad. Furthermore, in that same chapter, uh, Welton says uh, something so blasphemous, I need to highlight it in this review specifically. Um, it's on page 762. So let's see if I can find it. Maybe this is it here. Let's see. Um, are psychics and new ages operating in real power? 
here we go. This is it at the top of that page. You can read along with me. The answer is yes, but they have climbed in as trespassers. They've not accessed the spirit realm through Jesus. The Bible thoroughly forbids new age, occult, mystic, animistic, and spirit world engagement. And to say that we could access the spirit world through new age practices, the, the, the true spirit world where God's Holy Spirit engages man. And to say that we could access the spirit world um, through any kind of other practice outside of Christian practice and just do it in Jesus name is a serious deviation from Christian orthodoxy and practice and should be highlighted. We, I mean, even access to the spirit realm at all besides Jesus sending his spirit to indwell us. That's it. We don't, we don't try to pretend or try to access the spirit realm as Christians. That's not anywhere uh, given to us in scripture as something we ought to practice. To try to meditate, to access the spirit realm is forbidden for us as Christians. This is outside, uh, uh, really outside of and, and a true deviation in Christian practice. Uh, to take it one step further, Welton writes that new age has counterfeited such a things such as having a spirit guide, trances, meditation, auras, power objects, clairvoyance, clairaudience, and more. These actually belong to the church, he says, but they have been stolen and cleverly repackaged. Let's find that passage if we can. New Age has counterfeited, let's see uh, at the top of that page, if you can see, follow along with me, such, uh, such things as having a spirit guide, trances, meditation, auras, power objects, clairvoyance, clairaudience, and more. These actually belong to the church, but they have been stolen and cleverly repackaged. Please tell me in what biblical passage we are commanded to practice spirit guides, trances, meditation, auras, power objects, clairvoyance, and the like. Power objects? Crystals? Is he seriously saying that these practices belong to the church? Wow. All I can say is wow. There's no words for it. There's nowhere in scripture where we're commanded or encouraged to practice such things. This is so far out of bounds. It's truly, uh, like Mike Winger said, off the rails. Uh, It's impossible to claim that spirit guides, trances, meditation, auras, power objects, and the like ever belonged to Christianity. At any time, this claim is so completely a field, not just a field, but Welton is playing, not even playing in the same stadium. You know, he's not even in our ballpark anymore. I would dare say we're not playing the same game. We're not even playing the same game. This is undeniably 
unchristian. Undeniably an unchristian message. I'll just give you a few references for your uh, for your uh, consideration. Leviticus 19 verse 26 verse 31 Leviticus 20 verse 6 Deuteronomy 18 verses 10 through 13 First Chronicles 10:13 Galatians 5 19 through 20. Acts 19, 18 through 19, where those folks who came out of witchcraft burned their objects. Um, if you remember that story, uh, 1 John 4, 1. Just a few scriptures for your, um, for your consideration in relation to power objects, clairvoyance, and all the things that he says belonged to Christianity at one point. This is really... Uh, this chapter really uh, makes this book um, stand truly outside Christian practice and teaching. Ellen Davis in the next chapter um, says, uh, could it be that God has given us other ways to sense the unseen and unheard? No. <laughs> um, if God needed it to give it to us, other ways of being seen and heard, he would have told us. In his word, he would have made it clear, but what stands in scripture is clear, is all we need for faith and practice. He's not explained to us how to tap into unseen and unheard realities in this world, but rather quite clearly forbidden such practices throughout scripture. You can take those past um, uh, passages that I gave um, as a consideration for your thought. She makes a case for crystals and essential oils when she describes that they have vibrations and all this other mumbo jumbo. Crystals have for a long time been associated with the occult and new age practice. I would say usage of crystals for such new age purposes are off limits for those who claim Jesus is Lord. They're truly, truly off limits. She further described how she believes that the Holy Spirit has given her a pieces of the puzzle to the sound of sounds of heaven. Again, these are incredible fabrications that are arrogantly seek to prop her up as some sort of super Christian or elite spiritual guide or seer or leader. This is clear subterfuge and, and not Christian. Where is this in Christian tradition? Where are these practices in Christian tradition throughout the years? In mainline Christian tradition, these things do not exist. Um, the sounds, seeking the sounds of heaven. Nowhere, nowhere. This is the first time, besides the new age, of people trying to um, incorporate this into mainline Christian practice. And Bethel, the, the church, is so popular that they are starting to infiltrate with books like this and other, other means within their just their main influence through their music and everything else um, are, are bringing this in to the church of, at large. And 
one of the reasons I write this and uh, do this podcast and do this, this particular review of this book is to eliminate that, to help you understand that these practices stand outside of Christian practice. Um, I feel the need maybe to make some sort of right here, some sort of short list of things that, that could be considered off limits for Christians and in relation to spiritual practice, um, occult activities and stuff like that. Fortune telling crystal ball gazing, numerology, psychics, seeing psychics, tarot cards, Ouija boards, automatic writing, seances, mediums, spiritism, astrology, horoscopes, I Ching, hypnotism, uh, which is probably something, one of the ones that, that, that Christians probably do encounter and engage in, transcendental meditation, or any kind of Eastern meditation, crystals, witchcraft, Satanism, voodoo, channeling, reincarnation, astral projection, ESP, new age movement, and any form of necromancy. That's a short list of things that belong to the occult that Christians are forbidden to participate in. And I would highly encourage you, if you have participated in any of these things, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, turn to his word, turn away from these practices and leave them behind. Repent, turn to Jesus alone. And, and for those of you who are Christians who are thinking about dabbling in, maybe you pick this book up, this, uh, this book, Physics of Heaven, and you're interested in it and you're thinking about it, it is off limits for us as Christians. The reason it is off limits is because Christ commands it in his scriptures and it would take our gaze off of Christ and turn it onto something else for power. Crystals and those things are practiced and done only for power. Why would you want to tap into the, 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 the vibrations of heaven for your own power and authority and growth in spiritual things? The, the scriptures are our growth in spiritual things. Prayer, worship, fellowship of the saints. These things, works of service, missionary work, the gospel proclamation, those are the things that we dabble in. Ray Hughes, um, I'll move on to the, another passage. Ray Hughes continues um, in his chapter, this atrocious handling of theology and scripture, when he says, um, quote, we have been given the creative ability to release the sound of God. Oh, brother, let's get on to Ray Hughes's book chapter here. This is the sound of heaven symphony of earth by Ray Hughes. Here we go at the bottom of this page, man sounds like man, but we have been given the creative ability to release the sound of God. <sighs> have we been given any authority to do anything of any nature that would release anything that has to do with God. This is so off base. It's hard to know even where to get started here. Um, 
I, I don't even know where he could be getting this. I, I can think of no biblical basis for this theological statement. This is making again, so the book claims this is not a theological book, but goes on to make statements like unto this, uh, where they're defining what who God is and what we can do in relationship to God. That's theology at its basic level. What is theology? It's explaining God. Um, it's the study of God. So we have been given the creative ability to release the sound of God. Uh, I don't know. I can't even think of one scriptural passage where he could even be coming close to um, to describing God in this way. Um, and it is, trust me, it is a theological statement because it makes a claim about God that he is a God who has given us the creative ability to release his sounds. That's a theological statement. Any statement about the nature or activity of God is a theological statement. So their claim that this is not a theological book is patently false. The whole book presumes to explain God's nature and ways to people. He goes on to further say, um, with every revival, there has been a release of new music or a new sound. Whether the music releases revival or whether the revival releases the music varies from generation to generation. However, the sound uh, changes as God's people respond to what God is doing and saying. The preposterous claim that sound or music releases revival is especially appalling. Revival or true historical biblical revival is a sovereign act and impetus of God. It's his prerogative. Not any music or sound. There's not a, a sound that releases revival. There's not one biblical precedence for this. Uh, I've written a blog called There's Gonna Be Revival in the Land. Um, and that's a sort of a biblical uh, sweeping view of revival, historical and biblical revival. So you can, uh, I can put that in the note, uh, in the show notes. Um, so you can check, it, check that out. Um, the Christology of Hughes and subsequently Bethel is seen in his words, we bring to life the full meaning of Emmanuel, Christ in us, Christ revealed in us. Let's pull that up. Here we go. It's in yellow highlighted there. So everything, if you have been flipping through um, the book on my Kindle here, um, everything I've highlighted is erroneously crazy. <laughs> um, so all the highlights are crazy. They're not, they're not just highlights of me like highlighting something. I highlighted the crazy. So the yellow is the extremely crazy. So let's uh, have a look. We bring to life the full meaning of Emmanuel, Christ with us, Christ revealed in us. Then it was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts, Christ will be revealed as we hear his sound and release our individual God-appointed sound as his unique instruments. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't begin to describe how terrible this is. So do we bring life to the full meaning of Emmanuel, Christ, it, with us? No, 
Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We add nothing to his nature or work. We are only witnesses to and recipients of his salvation, vicarious death, and victorious resurrection. We only take part by receiving him in faith. This goes in the direction of the little gods or little Christ's theology, uh, which is taught in the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, Christ is truly revealed in us, but we do not bring the life to life, the full meaning of Emmanuel. He is the eternal incarnate word of God, and we give no meaning to his incarnation. He brings us into his incarnation by inviting us by faith in Jesus Christ. God the Father invites us into his incarnation by faith through Christ and taking part that way. We don't give any meaning to his incarnation. This is incredibly out of bounds. Um, so it's right there, oh, right there. <laughs> Up there in the corner, up there in that corner, if I can do it. The in the yellow, this is extremely bad. And it shows the theological perspective um, that uh, of, of we, uh, man-centric salvation, we bring the reality and meaning of Christ to bear. Uh, yeah, this is, this is, uh, bad. <laughs> Dan McCollum then, uh, talks about the God vibration and makes his erroneous claim. God's voice and the sound of angels can also be heard and experienced by man. A whole new realm of encounter awaits those who possess three simple qualities, expectancy, intentionality, and intimacy. My question came then, is there a secret realm that awaits man where we can hear the audible voice of God and, and the sound of angels? No, that is never promised to us as Christians. God never promises that we will hear his audible voice. If we want to hear God's voice, then we should read his word out loud. Um, if we... God never promises angel encounters as a result of our expectancy, intentionality, uh, intimacy. This is extra biblical teaching and is perilous for us as Christians. Uh, McCollum uh, closes his chapter by saying intimacy is the incubator of increased encounters from the supernatural realm. Uh, also, don't see exactly where he's getting that in scripture. Um, yeah, this sounds wonderful, you know, <laughs> that God would bless intimacy like this. And if you're more, the more intimate you are, the more he's going to bless and he's going to do these things and that thing and this thing and that thing. Uh, this, I'm afraid, could lead to a work salvation. However, Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 6, there it, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. So walk in him. How do we receive Christ? By grace, through faith. That's it. By grace, through faith, you have been made right with God. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So uh, I'm sorry. 
I don't see this anywhere in Scripture. Then Cal Pierce, his chapter, he describes angelic encounters. He first describes an angelic encounter he had with the energy angel. <sighs> Not kidding. Um, that's what he called it. Yeah, in this uh, chapter, Cal Pierce uh, said he encountered an energy angel who prophesied to him about the current energy crisis. I didn't know that angels needed to prophesy. I thought they were just messengers, but uh, yeah, I digress. He described how the angel went back to his hotel room with him. The angel spoke about how if we continue to draw resources from the planet, they'll run out. Uh, but if we draw resources from above, then they'll never pollute the planet and never run out. Uh, Pierce said that the angel told him about a water car and then disappeared. All right. So the angel soon returned with a scroll in his hand. And on the scroll were the blueprints for a car powered by water. Uh, let's see if we can get somewhere where... Yeah, here we go. This is it. If you want to read while I'm speaking, you're welcome to. That That page talks about it. So um, the blueprint came back with the angel. Um, and the angel spoke about how, again, if we continue with polluting the planet, we'll, we'll, we're, but we're going to get resources from above now. Um, Pierce uh, said the angel came back with the, a scroll with the blueprints of a water-powered car on it. The angel said he was an engineer and said he could show Pierce how it worked through the power of water and light. The angel then said that he had been walking with, quote unquote, Pierce for 30 years. Pierce told the angel that he was amazed by seeing an angel. The angel replied that he was amazed too because he had been trying to get Pierce's attention for 30 years. <laughs> Ah, that's great. I'm <laughs> literally beside myself. Um, does an angel need to try to get someone's attention for 30, 30 years? Um, like he wasn't listening or he wasn't tuned into the right frequency. <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is this is pretty uh, far fetched. I mean, car, water car is far fetched enough, but but an angel trying to get uh, his attention for thirty years—that's pretty. That's pretty rich. Um, yeah, I don't see any angels. Maybe the angel uh, where Balaam and Balak um, and his donkey, uh, Balaam didn't see the angel. Uh, he was ready to, but the donkey did, but that was like in a moment, not 30. I don't see an angel trying to get an attention from, uh, someone for 30 years. Yeah. So he gives him the, sorry, he gives him, gives him the blueprints for this car and shows him how it's going to work. And yeah, so after he got over his amazement of uh, Cal finally, see, Pierce finally seeing this angel. Um, yeah, he, he tells him how it works. This is so outlandish. It's hard to believe um, that I have to write or, or and I did write. 
or comment as if this were a serious uh, critique. Um, it's so outlandish. Um, it's hard for me to stay a little serious in this, but here we go. Let's try to stay serious. It was hard not to laugh as I'm reading this. It was absurd. I really just couldn't believe it. That's why you see me highlighting the whole page. Um, the reason that I feel like I need to write this critique is because the physics of heaven has received an enormous amount of praise on internet platforms. The, this thing right here, look at it. He describes, literally describes how this angel gives him the blueprints for a water powered car. Maybe you should take him to Elon Musk and uh, get him to. What? Are, are we serious? It, uh, and so I, it's, it's really beyond me to believe that this got such critical review on Amazon. Um, there was only a few negative reviews. So Pierce goes on to describe an encounter with a man who God had taken to heaven and shown how to produce four dimensional objects with sound. It gets crazier. The crazy does not end in this book. It's, it blows my mind. So this person, he said, went to heaven. God showed him how to create four dimensional sounds, I, uh, four dimensional products by speaking them into existence. So as uh, Pierce describes uh, this man, he claimed that he had uh, used sound to project a miniature house into existence. Again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not making it up. Um, <laughs> let's see if we can find it here. Uh, later, I later met a man God had taken to heaven and shown how to produce four dimensional objects with sound. This man told me that he had used sound to project a house that is two and a half inches square and is three dimensional so you can walk around and look into the windows. He said, I'm about to enlarge the house to 18 inches. That was my first encounter with the creative power of sound. <laughs> so this guy went to heaven. God showed him how to create out of nothing. I guess ex nihilo just by speaking with the power of sound, creating miniature houses. Um, yeah. Pierce went on to elaborate on what the energy angel revealed to him. He said that because God spoke his creative will, man can also speak words that create. This is a, a teaching of the New Apostolic Reformation. It's a word of faith, um, uh, the power of positive confession. I say something positive. I, I can create with my words. Um, and... Uh, that's patently false. There's no creative power to our words. You can't create anything ex nihilo. I'm sorry, you can't create miniature houses. Um, sorry to disappoint. It's not possible. Only the sovereign creator God has the power to create anything ex nihilo or out of nothing, which is ex nihilo. 
This is the outworking of the little God's theology that describes that everything that God is, we are too, and we have the same capabilities within us. Pierce further argues that angels obey the commands of the word of the Lord, and in the same way they obey and enact our word and bring them to fruition. He closes this chapter with the idea that angels are around you to activate the revelation of the truth that you speak out into its creative form. Let's find that as well. Here we go. 1245, Kindle 1245. Oh, that was it probably right there. Angels obey the sound of his word. When we speak his word, angels then take what we say to completion. They render service or run errands on behalf of those who inherit salvation. And they are waiting for us to speak the sound of God's word so that they can take it out to accomplish what he has sent it to do. It's our partnering with the angels and the angelic activity that is going to cause sound to become creative. Angels are around you to activate the revelation of the truth that you speak out into its creative form. I'm not making it up, folks. It's right there in ink. Well, in Kindle. <laughs> ah, this is... All in all, Pierce claims that he encountered the inner energy angel who gave him plans to build a water-powered car, encountered a man who went to heaven and show, God showed him how to create little houses with sound, and as a result teaches that angels help activate our words when we speak the truths that we speak. Again, this is so far off the mark that I believe that Pierce is not in the same ballpark. Moreover, I believe he's not even playing on the same team. As stated before, these authors are not playing the same game as the Christian church of antiquity. Just not. Moving on, author Larry Randolph. Let's get to that one. There we are. Spiritual synesthesia. In his chapter, uh, this says that the spiritual discoveries of the New Age movement could be likened to the time in the Old Testament when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. In both cases, then and now, that which belongs to the church fell into the hands of unbelievers. So in order to posture ourselves for the next move of God, like King David, we must take back what is ours. Certain dynamics such as synesthesia, quantum physics, and vibrations are God stuff. Bet you didn't know that. And we must not be afraid to seize what belongs to the creator of all things. This is apostasy, people. Here, Randolph takes a historical narrative passage of scripture that is not meant to be prescriptive, but rather descriptive of historical events. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen from Israel and makes them to have spiritual meanings they do not have. Randolph here does some pretty creative exegetical calisthenics. There is no way that the Philistines stealing the Ark of the Covenant has a parallel to the New Age stealing practices from Christianity that we must steal back. This is absolute hermeneutical rubbish. This book continues on in this vein until it mercifully comes to an end. <laughs> I was really so glad to be done. Um... But this is just a small sampling. What I've presented to you today is a small sampling 
of the preposterous and erroneous teaching found in this book. I highly discourage everyone watching from reading this book, The Physics of Heaven. I wanted to bring it to your attention in two points. This book is obviously false teaching of the most flagrant manner. And second, it is inextricably linked to Bethel Church, Bill Johnson, Chris Vallotton, and the New Apostolic Reformation. All the people who have appear and write in this book belong to the New Apostolic Reformation and or Bethel Church. It has chapters written by all the senior leaders of Bethel and approved by and sold in the Bethel Internet Store. Let's go back and just double check that it's still there. There it is, still there. Sold by Bethel Store, Bethel Church on their online website, Bethel.com Products, The Physics of Heaven. Don't go get your copy right now. <laughs> They're inextricably linked. It's approved by Bethel and sold in their store. People cannot say that there is no false teaching at Bethel. This book is the smoking gun. It's hard evidence that the teaching and beliefs of the main senior leaderships at Bethel are aberrant. If you must read The Physics of Heaven, please know that there is egregious biblical, theological, and even scientific errors on almost every single page. Keep your heresy radar on full alert as you read. Our hope is not found in any mysteries of sound, light, vibrations, energy, quantum physics, angelic experience, or other, or other new age chicanery, but rather in the vicarious atoning work of Christ alone on our behalf for our salvation. He alone is our everlasting hope. Dear listeners, thanks for watching. Thanks for hanging in there. It's a long one. Um, I encourage you, put your hope in Christ and Christ alone. Don't look to anything like this, to any worldly wisdom, to any hope in some kind of uh, cure-all, be-all. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust him and him alone. Jesus was a man who lived for 33 years, a perfect life, the life we should have lived and couldn't. Died a death we deserve to die in our place so that we would have peace with God. And the way you can have peace with God is by placing your faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn from your sins, turn to God, repent, turn to God in faith. And Jesus has offered this to you as a free gift. And it's received by faith in Christ alone. And he alone can make us right with God. Not any vibration, not any uh, chicanery from the new age movement. You can be made right with God today by faith in Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray you would do that.
If you'd like more information on the New Apostolic Reformation, the Word of Faith movement, and the Third Wave movement, you can uh, check out my book. It's called Divergent Theology. It's available on Amazon, Markets, and Kindle, uh, and uh, you can pick that up at, at those places. And uh, I'll give you more information onto the detailed teachings and why these teachings are aberrant um, and should not be trusted and uh, followed. So you can pick that book up uh, at Amazon Markets. Uh, if you like this video, please consider subscribing. Hit the subscribe button and the bell and ding for notifications. I'll be doing more of these this season in, the, in Churchpreneurs, season number three. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Churchpreneurs Podcast. You can find out more information at my website at richardpmore.net. I also blog at richardpmore.blogspot.com. You're welcome to follow me on Twitter also. My handle is at richardpmore23. You can also email us at churchpreneurs at gmail.com. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R-S at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for a podcast or any comments, questions, please reach out on one of those platforms. God bless you. Until next time, take care.